What is not written is not said. What is not written remains undone. Some things can be risked leaving to memory and others simply must be noted. These are referred to as noteworthy things. When you encounter the noteworthy that is backed by and based on the word of God, you have met the noteworthy. Welcome to the noteworthy with Teddy Podcast, brought to you by Reverend Teddy A. Jones. Get your mind in gear and your willpower engaged. The revolution begins now. Here is today's episode. Greetings, listeners. I am very passionate about issues of justice. And so this episode is the recording of a Zoom presentation that I did recently sharing with a group of youth in Jamaica and in attendance were some persons from other countries, the United States and the African continent. I was asked to share on the topic, Racism, Injustice, the Church's Response. Be challenged as you listen to this episode. Racism slash injustice, the church's response. Reverend Stephen mentioned a while just now in in his introductory remarks about the very unfortunate situation in Jamaica with that man who had been incarcerated for over 40 years without a trial and died on the inside. Well, in today's Gleaner newspaper, there is another uh, another case that is being highlighted. This time, the per, the inmate is um, suffering from mental illness and has been on the inside for 16 years. 16 years on the inside, mm-hmm. and so it is not by any stretch of the imagination not to be thought of as a one-off thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I have first-hand information, having worked in the system, served in the system for a while, that there are many cases like this. So this is, and this is just one example of injustice in Island Jamaica. And of course, as 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 we all know, the hot button matter now you notice on the screen that's actually sorry that's actually supposed to be a a hot cup of coffee to represent the hot burning boiling steaming issue of racism that is confronting the world right now um there are many who thought that racism was dead or racism has had died uh, they were very wrong to have thought that it did not die. If anything at all, it went to sleep. Mm-hmm. If anything at all, it went to sleep. But now it is very clear that that beast, that dragon, has 
reawakened, has awakened out of its sleep, and it is breathing fire, perhaps seven times worse mm -hmm. than before. But our, our focus this evening is intended to be on the church's response. So I have grouped the response into three, a three-pronged response. What I'm proposing that needs to be is that there needs to be a three-pronged response. Mm -hmm. First, confession and repentance. Mm -hmm. Second, repudiation. And three, activism. Mm -hmm. And I want to take them in that specific order. Confession and repentance, repudiation, and activism. Why am I starting the response of the church with confession and repentance? I want to start there because the history of the Caribbean, the history of the United States of America, the history of the what is now referred to as the Commonwealth countries is a history that sees the church as being complicit and facilitative of one of the ugliest forms of injustice that the world has experienced to date. I'm speaking specifically of the transatlantic slave trade, that period of history. So today, as we contemplate how the church should respond, respond to racism and injustice, I am suggesting that we must begin with confession and repentance, that we come to a place of honest acknowledgement, fulsome acknowledgement of the role that the church played in the slave trade. Just today on CNN, there was a report that the Bank of England is apologizing for its role and its history in the slave movement. And incidentally, today is being referred to as Juneteenth. Um, I had to do a little bit of, of background research into, into this. Somehow, it seems to me that it's the first I'm hearing that term mentioned. And it is actually the date, 152-year, year, 152nd anniversary of when the last of slavery was abolished in the United States of America, 152 years ago. And one of my, a, a very good friend of mine and missionary church member living in the United States sent a note to me today that the company that he works with issued a, a decree today that as of today, Juneteenth will be a paid holiday observed by that company. So 
as of today, all members of staff will get a holiday in commemoration of Juneteenth and a holiday with pay. And that was significant. It is also significant that with all the protests going on now and the agitation for leveling of the playing field, that it is falling right within this Juneteenth observation. And here today, the Bank of England is apologizing for its involvement, its historic involvement in slavery. That's one. Two, about three years ago, a group of tribal leaders in West Africa came together and had a gathering, held a gathering on the shores of Ghana, right in the very spot where the slave ships would load their cargo of African brothers and sisters who had been captured and marched, in some cases, hundreds and thousands of miles to the seashore and kept in chains, of course, in very small confined spaces, awaiting the arrival of the slave ships. And some of those holding areas are still there to this very day. I have friends who have gone to Ghana and other places in Western Africa, and they have actually seen and gone into some of those spaces and have taken pictures. Very small, confined spaces. Well, this group of tribal uh, leaders came to that spot to do one thing. What was that? To apologize to persons in the Western Hemisphere, persons who are descendants of the former slaves, for the role that fellow Africans played in capturing Africans and selling them to the Europeans to be shipped across the Atlantic as enslaved persons. They openly admitted that yes, there were persons on the continent who captured their brothers and sisters and sold them into slavery. And so the group of tribal leaders, they came together, they, they confessed it, they repented of it, and they sought sincerely the forgiveness of all persons who are descendants of African, African former enslaved Africans. That was particularly significant. So I start with those two examples of person, of groups of, of persons, institutions and institutions who had played a role in slavery and have since publicly and prominently apologized, confessed. What of the Dutch Reformed Church? Some of us may not be familiar with the Dutch Reformed Church of South Africa. The Dutch Reformed Church, with three million Christian members, remained the official religion of the apartheid-supporting National Party. You will be very familiar with the name Nelson Mandela, perhaps the most known of the 
prisoners, persons who were imprisoned, blacks who were imprisoned under a system called apartheid, an idea, an ideology that the light-skinned Afrikaans-speaking Dutch descendants of South Africa who came from Holland and displaced the uh, the, the, the tribal persons in South Africa, in the Cape, the Kosa-speaking uh, tribe and Khoikhoi people displaced them and uh, captured the land. And later on, as Zulu and other tribal persons came from the northern parts of Africa and settled in South Africa until there were Blacks and these whites from Holland living in South Africa, well, the system of apartheid that said that Blacks were inferior and needed to be wiped out. And they used a verse of scripture that they twisted to justify that ideology. The verse of scripture says, God is light and in him there is no darkness. So we are light-skinned and you are dark-skinned. And the Bible says that in God, there is no darkness. They started the ideology and they aided and abetted and supported the ideology. Mandela was imprisoned for 27 years and many others. Doberman Dog was bred under the system of apartheid and trained specifically to hunt black people in South Africa. And to date, yes, there was, a, there was the commission of, 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 of um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. But again, but to date, the Dutch Reformed Church, there are sections of the Dutch Reformed Church that continue to deny the role that the church, the Dutch Reformed Church of South Africa played in that, uh, that system of racism and injustice. Then the Church of the Plantocracy in the Caribbean, the Church of England, the state church, since most of the Caribbean is English speaking, what did they do? They brought quote-unquote Christianity to the plantation, not because they cared about the salvation of those that they had enslaved, but they actively used it as a system of control right. and keeping them in subjection. So they used passages like Paul's epistles where Paul says, Paul said, servants should be obedient to their masters. The Bible says that slaves should be obedient to their masters. They did not consider the, the blacks as human beings. And since you have to have a soul in need of salvation, if you don't have a soul, then you don't need salvation, nor can you receive salvation. And so in Kingston's history, there was a point in Kingston's history where evangelists were forbidden to preach the gospel to the blacks because it's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. You don't have a soul, so you can't be saved. Right. Oh God. Similarly, the Church of England 
which operates in the Caribbean as the Anglican, well, it is the Anglican Church. Yeah? Blacks could not get married because there is a legal contractual aspect of a marriage. And it takes a human being to enter into a contract. Since a black person is not a human being, you can't enter into a contract, therefore you can't get married. Yeah. And that was in place for years. There came a point where that was set aside and the wife of the governor general at the time, Lady Huggins, there is a road in Grand Spend called Lady Huggins Avenue, named after, after that same Lady Huggins, wife of the governor general at the time. She set out to, on a, a movement of mass marriage for the blacks encouraging and trying to get as many of them married know that they could get married all of a sudden and those are just two examples of the three examples of the ways in which the church of england the state church the first church in the caribbean so to speak the the church from which we we get our our christian heritage in the caribbean things that they did and there is still a deep sense within the Caribbean that the church has not properly confessed and repented of those actions. And this is why Rastafarianism mm -hmm. and Islam in particular are so appealing to young black males because there is a dark aspect of Christianity's history in the Caribbean tied to injustice that we continue to pretend did not exist. And, and young black males are saying, own up to it. Yeah. Admit it. Mm. Just admit it. Yeah. And we continue to pretend like it never happened. So I'm saying we cannot begin to respond to racism and injustice until we, we deal with our own dark history of involvement in it mm -hmm. by true confession and repentance. So that's why I started there. Then repudiate, repudiation. What does that mean? It means to, to stoutly, strongly, and courageously denounce distance oneself from a thing. After we have confessed and repented, wherever racism and injustice occurs, we need to be very clear about renouncing it, repudiating it. And that, I argue, must, needs to be done publicly. So the the, the the silence tends to be deafening from the church when it comes on to such matters. And I'm by no means suggesting that the things that we are loud about are not important. We are very loud about homosexuality. Yeah. We are very loud about abortion. Mm -hmm. We are very loud about gambling and pretty much silent on most other societal issues. And one has to, one has to ask, why is that so? 
if we're going to talk about whole societies, if we're going to talk about, about protecting the family unit, then we cannot pick and choose. We have to be consistent. We have to represent the whole counsel of God and speak out about the societal ills in a consistent and a holistic manner. So in our sermons, we need to renounce such things. The, 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 the denominational bodies, the different <laughs> groupings need to have a consistent voice. My issue is lack of consistency. And because of the lack of consistency, we come across as being lopsided. And that weakens our influence. So in our sermons, um, you know, in, by, by, by putting out press release, a press release, consistency. Mm -hmm. Solidarity marches. Those are just some example, different examples of ways in which we can engage in the repudiation aspect of our response. Writing letters to the editor, right? Um, and, and so I am, I am encouraging us that that we be agitating, speaking, ensuring that in in your local church, in your denomination, that these things are being done that our voice is consistently being heard. Sound like a scratch record. Let mm -hmm. them accuse us of sounding like a scratch record. But we, we cannot keep silent because the victims are noticing our silence. I'm going to come back to silence in a, in a, in a, in a short while. All right? So confession and repentance, repudiation, and then activism. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. So could I ask a question? You're going to go through all the presentation and then facilitate questions. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Continue. Yeah. Activism, both corporate and personal. By corporate, I mean the, the, the church group, the, uh, the, the, the church that you are part of, um, the local church and the denominational body where that exists, and personal, you. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, when we break the church down to its lowest common denominator, we are the church. And many times we tend to engage in a kind of escapism. So we say, well, well, the church needs to do something about it, forgetting that we are the church. So I'm, I'm being very specific here. Activism, both corporate and personal. And here is a verse that I, I, I want to use to take us into this, this idea of activism. That God expects action, not a bag of noise. <laughs> listen, to, listen to this verse yeah. and uh, make a note of it so that you can read the verses before, which we have, I've just included. The verse is really 24, but I included 23 because as good Bible readers, you need to get into the habit of reading what comes before the verse so that you get the, the situational context of the verse that you are looking at. So verse 23, uh, this is, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Does this sound like kind of like praise and worship? But let 
justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Tapping eyes, God is saying. Uh, 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 brothers in Africa, stop the noise. Action. God is interested in action. And, and the very same idea can be found in Isaiah chapter 1 and also in Micah chapter 6 and a couple other places in the, the books of the prophets. Consistently, God says, put away your convocation. Put away your prayer meeting. Put away your singing. Put away your musical instruments. Put away your fasting. Stop it. Me yeah. not interested in it. Me not hear you if you're not doing justice. Oh, God. Activism. So here is a quote from my book, Let's Major in the Minors. In, in, this is from chapter one, from which, which is based on the book of Obadiah, the prophet Obadiah. One of the, the, the only book in the New Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, sorry, that has one chapter. There in the book, I said, what is lacking totally or woefully inadequate among the people of God is this kind of interest and soul passion that Obadiah had in eternal justice and fidelity. The vision and desire for it is lackluster at best and thus the agitation for, agitation for and the pursuit of it is sporadic and short-lived at best Obadiah as a prophet had a deep passion and concern for justice because he understood God's heart and passion for justice and now I was making the observation in the book that in the church of the Lord Jesus today, we are not seeing a similar kind of passion and concern for justice. We're talking about activism as part of the church's response. So I want to just point a few things quickly from the, the book of Obadiah to, to underscore, to make the point that we need to be engaged in action in the pursuit of justice and not just talk about it or not just pray about it. And before you stone me and think I am saying that prayer is not important, far from it. What I am saying is that prayer often becomes a crutch, an excuse mm -hmm. that the people of God use for inaction, inactivity rather than activism. Here, here is the evidence of God's passion for justice as found in the book of Obadiah. So remember Old Testament, the prophet Obadiah, one chapter, 20-something verses. Read it when you, when you have some time. Don't gloss over it. Some real heavy stuff in that book. God gives this prophet a message of coming judgment against the nation of Edom. And why is Edom being judged? Edom is being judged because God has taken note of their unjust actions, their injustice against the nation of Israel. And the evidence of this, at verse 5, God pays attention to excessive evil. Verse 10, God pays attention to acts of violence. And he, he gives three specific acts of violence in the prophet, in the prophecy of Obadiah. 
which I describe as passive violence, verse 11. There it says, in, in the day that the invaders attacked Jerusalem, you stood by aloof And you were just like the invaders. Mm. To be passive when, when and where injustice is being done to others, God considers it that you are just as guilty. To do nothing. To just stand by aloof. To say and take the position, well, and my family, and my brother, and my sister, yeah. And I mean, God considers it that you are just as guilty as a person doing the injustice. Then possessive violence, verse 13. The prophet says, when the invaders looted Jerusalem, you went in after them and you helped yourself to Israel's goods. You participated in the looting. Yeah. And then participatory violence, verse 14. You didn't just stand by aloof. You didn't only help yourself to the goods, but you helped to kill the Israelites. By the way, this is, you were talking about um, Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. This is the very invasion, the Babylonian invasion God is referring to here. That when Babylon invaded Jerusalem, Edom, the, the, the descendants of Esau, who were the, who were like the half-brothers of the Israelites. Remember Esau and Jacob? Yes. So the Edomites came, came from Esau, Esau, Esau's descendants. Right. They, they refused to come to Israel's help. But not only, they didn't just stand idly by, they didn't just plunder Israel as well. They attacked the Israelites. Mm -hmm. I know they did. They <laughs> hid around the corner, around the bend, by the crossroad. And when they saw an Israelite running for his life or her life, trying to escape, they them jump out and grab them and bring and bring them to the Babylonians. I'm off here wonder if an assault Daniel and the three little boys end up in Babylon. <laughs> if it's not one of the Edomites, them capture them and hand them over to the Babylonians. Total conjecture on my part here. That's not I in the scriptures. I'm just speculating. But God was paying attention. And he gives a serious indictment of judgment against Edom for what they did. You know, Edom's dislike for the Israelites started all the way over in the book of Numbers, in Numbers 24, when they were going through the wilderness towards the promised land, and they come to the land of Edom, where there was a, a smooth and easy road that would get them to where they were going. And they asked permission to pass through Edomite territory. And the king of Edom said, no, we're not let you pass through your son. Yeah. And when they, they said, when they said, but remember, say, we're related, you know. Yeah. Remember, say, yeah, with family. What the king said? The king said, see me army, yeah. He put out him army on display so that they can realize, yo, <laughs> me not joke. Mm. We do not pass your son. Right? And then, then, then God lifts up, lifts, God lifts up the victimized. So those who were once attacked, God says, the same place that you were, you were attacked and destroyed, you are going to possess this land. And on the same Mount Zion, you, you are going to have victory. 
and the kingdom going belong to the to, to the Lord. Just as how Jesus ends the the, the, the model prayer, um, thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever and ever. So so Obadiah's book presents a, a, a serious case for God's heart for justice. Because justice is a fundamental part of God's character. Another verse you can, um, I won't read it out, Isaiah 1, 15 and 17. Similar to the Amos passage, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow, the victims, the helpless, the victimized. Yeah? And you know what is interesting? You know what comes right after that verse in Isaiah 1? Come the very famous verse that we use when we when we do an evangelism. Come let us come let us reason together. Though, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Uh, Israel, God did a chat to you know. And what was the wrong? They were not engaging themselves in the fight for those who were being top doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice and of course you see what comes before when you spread out your hands in prayer i will hide my eyes from you even when you offer many prayers i am not listening wash and make yourself clean stop your evil deeds what was the evil deed refusing to engage in the fight for justice and of course the classic one micah chapter 6 and verse 8 yes, what does god require and again the preface to that verse, similar. Me no need no olive oil. The olive oil don't belong. I feel me olive oil. Me no need no bulls and rams. I feel me bulls and rams. Take away your offering. Me no want it. What I want is for you to do just to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. Right? So the scripture is very clear. Proverbs 31, verse 8. Open your mouth for the mute, those who cannot speak. Speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. Who is going to speak for these hundreds of people who are incarcerated without a trial simply because they happen to live on the wrong side of Kingston, simply because they happen to have the wrong surname? Who is going to speak for them simply because them family can't hire no big shot lawyer? Who is going to speak for them? Those who cannot speak I want to kind of double back right where I started because I'm calling the church corporate and I'm calling the individual members of the church to action, right? Where there is injustice in the community that the church exists in, the church cannot be silent and uninvolved and detached. You know how much time I had to go to police station and stare down mm -hmm. and say, this is not right. You cannot treat the youth like that. Not yes, because a grand spending live. Not because him is a little black youth. I'm never afraid. Because I understood that my role as a servant of the living God, one who believes the word of God, who says that the righteous will be bold as lions, who stand in the face of injustice, them could have planned for, 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 for get rid of me some more of them one. I tell myself, unless God allow it and unless God decide for his own purposes to allow it to happen, then can't touch me. Amen. So may I stand up to confront injustice. Yeah. All right? So 
you're the individual now. Fool, we can come to talk about racism and injustice. We as descendants of Africans have to confront our own vacillation as far as our identity is concerned and the ways in which we empower those who consider us as inferior by some of the things that we do. So here is a quote I want to use from Pastor Carlyle Peart, a pastor in the Bahamas, who wrote an article in the Jamaica Observer last week entitled, Can the Church Remain Silent? Look it up on the Observer website. So a, a powerful article. And I'm asking myself, he, Carlyle is in, in the Bahamas. How come, how come I haven't seen a, 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 an article from a Jamaican pastor? So he says, Genesis tells us that God created male and female in his own image and likeness. God created one race, the human race. Regrettably, sin has caused us to create many races which have divided us as a people. According to the worldly standards, the vast majority of us in the Caribbean belong to the Negroid race, the black race. Some of us, however, have tried to find ways to escape our Africanness. We gladly and proudly embrace and can trace our European ancestry, but shun the black part of us. Sadly, the black part is demonized by some, mm -hmm. a sin which must be avoided and never spoken of in private or public. Some of us have secretly wished we were of a lighter hue, and you. quite a number have resorted to bleaching. Yes, sir. We do not believe that our complexion or hair texture is good enough unless it is closely related to our European counterpart. We are still enslaved in the region. So who told us that it was okay for our parents or whoever to tell us to marry light so that you can lighten the generation? or the family, who told us that our Caribbean music is not worship music, but the nice and slow American and Australian and European music is worship music? Who told us that? And why have we accepted that? Who made it okay for our hair, which is coarse and nappy, to not be okay if it is grown, yet we are quite okay with the blue-eyed, mm -hmm. long, blonde-haired dude painted on our church walls above the baptismal pool or somewhere in the church building or on the, uh, on the calendars that we proudly display. Who told us that it is, it is, it is okay to run down everything white and everything American, including our food, and reject our own Caribbean food. We continue, both as individuals and as church, by what we do to send a message that yes, we are inferior and you are superior. So on what basis then do we, 
do we confront racism when we ourselves continue to empower those who believe that they are superior to our race? I, I, I ask you to ponder, what must you resolve within your own self about your own identity before you can even begin to take action as church, both corporate and individual, against racism and injustice? So here, is where, here now is where the rubber hits the road. In light of all of this, what are some specific steps that you and your church can take to be more involved in the improvement of justice in your country? Specific actions. It doesn't have to be a whole list. One thing or two or just one that you can do or that your church can do a specific thing to ensure that you are more involved in the improvement of justice in your country. Thank you for listening to this episode of my podcast, Noteworthy with Teddy. This is Reverend Teddy A. Jones. You think about it, let's talk about it. I look forward to your questions and comments. Use the social media links provided here to connect with me. If it's noteworthy, then others need to hear. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends and family. See you on the next episode, DV.